From Moby.co, this is the Flagship Pod, a weekly live podcast about the stock market, the economy, and the various market forces powering the world around you. As always, I'm your host, Peter Starr, bringing just uh, pure exhaustion. It has been an absolutely wild week here in the market. We had earnings for all of our top tech stocks who all got hammered, except for the safe harbor of Apple stock, even though it's also kind of technically down on revenue. Um, Meanwhile, the Dow is up for the fourth straight week as we're seeing this kind of divergence between profitable stocks and value and growth stocks. Um, We just lost our conversational partner. Let me uh, vamp for a hot second here. Joining me as always, folks, um, to sort of like go through that, go through that mayhem uh, is Justin Kramer, CEO, co-founder and chief analyst here at Moby.co. Justin, dude, uh, you're kind of right there with me. It has been genuinely Way too much to keep up with this week. I have no idea how we're going to cram this into half an hour. What's good, man? How do you feel about the market overall? Yeah, this this more so than the past weeks or even months for that matter. Uh, there's a lot to unpack. It's earnings season, so it's to be expected. Uh, I'm even happy to go over you know our normal 30 minutes here if we want to try and squeeze in a lot of the questions and things we want to address. But yeah, I mean, to your point, there there's a lot to cover today. Um, Markets are responding, you know, good, bad, all over the place, depending on which sectors, coverage, economy, you know, news uh, you're following. So there's a there's a lot to discuss today. And like always want to dive into the Russia stuff because it's super important. Talk about earnings, talk about um, the economy and just kind of everything in between. So there's a there's a lot to unpack today. Um, And if you've been paying attention to the news, um, there's some huge, huge changes going on. Exactly. Um, you know, there's a lot of like nuance stuff to go into. Just one thing I would like to just get in front. Like, I'm really excited to see. It's a great time to be building. Caterpillar stock is up huge, up 15%. Um, that's obviously the biggest news this week, right? Nothing about big tech or anything, right? No? Okay, let's get into the actual meat of it. So all four of the big tech firms reported earnings this week. You had Microsoft, you had Alphabet, you had Meta, you had Amazon. Apple was in there too. We don't want to talk about Apple. They're kind of diverging from the narrative right now. It's annoying. Um, I don't even know how to begin breaking this down. So I'm just going to go in order of who reported. So we had uh, Microsoft and Amazon both get just pummeled by reduced expectations for cloud revenue. Justin, um, can we, let's 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 break this up first. Let's talk um, Amazon and uh, Microsoft first, and then we can get into uh, the real mayhem news, which is Meta and Alphabet. Right? Can you kind of take me through? Like, is it just um, the is it, it, are people not adopting the cloud anymore? Like, what is the deal with the profitability over at Microsoft and Amazon causing these huge, huge uh, swings in their stock price downward this week? Yeah, there's there's a lot to unpack. To your point, um, for Amazon specifically and and cloud revenue and you know their overall business, there there's a few places that analysts were honestly just wrong. Um, even though us and a lot of other people remain overweight, so. First off, retail and their AWS business, which is pretty much the core of their revenue at this point, are slowing faster than people expected, which ultimately is going to lead to slower efficiencies and EBITDA growth and all the things that investors care about. Um, having said that, we still do see like some efficiencies coming in next year. Um, and Amazon truly is positioned to take shit, like more market share within retail and enterprise um, post you know whatever downturn we're seeing now. Um, but given where, you know, Amazon's currently trading, um, they, they're actually at a pretty good valuation. They're trading at like 10 to 11 times next year's EBITDA, which is at a discount to, uh, to historical numbers. Um, but the slowdown for them has, has really arrived. So I don't want to understate that. 
Um, revenue was 7% below expectations, which is pretty substantial. Um, they're seeing slowing consumer trends across the US and Europe. Um, we did talk about last week how MasterCard is seeing increasing trends. Amazon seeing the opposite, which I think is more indicative of what's going on right now in the economy. Um, and AWS is starting to see more of a slowdown as well. Uh, a lot of their con uh, contracts with their consumers are looking to, or their customers rather, are looking to renegotiate their pricing uh, and just either transition to lower price uh, like models or, or just get off it altogether. So, I mean, overall, like this slowdown is, you know, it's a little bit slower than most people thought. And that's why we saw the share price kind of fall off a cliff. But I mean, it's to be expected going into what will ultimately potentially be a recessionary period over the you know, next six to 12 months, um, so lower profitability, lower efficiency. But in the long run, um, their strategic positioning is exactly the same. Um, AWS over the long run, retail their retail product over the long run, we're still extremely confident in. It's just the the foreseeable headwinds that we're seeing right now, given, you know, the, the overall slowdown in general. And what you're seeing is just like a lot of overreaction to earnings. This is kind of what you have to play in earnings season, folks, especially during a downturn period. Um, if you're a, a newer investor looking for kind of like an always win uh, trading strategy, when you're trying to think about how to add to your portfolio, always try to trade around the volatility of earnings season. Uh, when you have your sort of big bet stocks, like Microsoft has already kind of pushed past a lot of its downturn from this week. It got as low as about 8% down. Um, but now it's only, it's well it's up two percent today and only down five percent for the week right because uh, they Microsoft was first to report amongst this big bucket of Fang stocks and the market definitely overreacted to them having a little bit less profitability in Azure and obviously a lot of headwinds from the strong dollar from a lot of like smaller factors that are just kind of pushing against well inflation in general of course um, so their Azure profitability is it beat expectations but is kind of technically down from where they also wanted it to be and will be down further for the year and that's what's causing microsoft to go down this is one of the things where it's just like a, a temporary headwind as people kind of readjust what uh, pe ratios they want out of these big stocks or is this something that we can see more like are we going to be in the penalty box for a while or are we kind of pushing past all the bad headwinds here justin what do you think about that for the, for the headwinds for what specifically sorry i missed that it broke up a tiny bit sorry about that for microsoft specifically yeah, so for Microsoft, I mean, listen, they're like the Azure product is in a similar situation to um, to AWS. I mean, whatever headwinds AWS is going to roll uh, or run into, rather, uh, the same thing's going to ultimately happen with uh, with Microsoft. They're not immune. If anything, their headwinds are probably a little bit more because they don't have penetration in the market the way that Amazon does. Uh, for those of you who aren't aware, Amazon is. Uh, much more uh, like entrenched in just overall cloud services than pretty much anyone else's. Like they're the ones who started it. Uh, not to get too much off into a tangent on a side note, but they built it internally and then realized they, it was a product they could roll out externally. So they're definitely the market leader there, which is a long-winded way of me saying um, that ultimately they have more market share there and they can kind of get around a little bit of any like cyclicality in the market right now. And, you know, Microsoft is not going to be able to do that as much. Having said that, Microsoft has a lot of other products that they rely on. They have gaming, they have, you know, hardware, they have software. There, there's a lot going on just, you know, like any other company. Um, so ultimately, yes, Azure is going to slow down. Rising costs are going to go there as well. Uh, and growth was less than expected this quarter. Again, following a very similar trend to Amazon. Uh, and then outside of that, um, 
the the overall strength in the dollar again is is hurting their business. Um, right now, the EU, other countries are starting to raise rates, um, and so that should hopefully negate some of these factors in the long run. But in the short run, when you are getting paid in a foreign currency that is depreciating, when you bring it back over to U.S. dollars, it's worth less. So that really hurt for headwinds as well. Um, and then again, just overall shortages in the market for semis. I mean, it's it's been a lot of the same story there. So very similar to Amazon. Uh, still love Microsoft over the long run. Um, they're an amazing company and they've shown to grow. But in recessionary periods, uh, these companies are are going to get hit. It's just inevitable, but it's just it's part of the ride, unfortunately. And you keep saying the phrase recessionary periods, Justin, and that's causing a little bit of um, froth in in the question zone, right? Because what we also saw this week, we're going to get back to earnings season in a second, but this is a good place to diverge real fast on a tangent. Uh, GDP went up 2.6%, was only supposed to go up 2.3% uh, quarter over quarter. Uh, is this even a real recession? Or are we just, you know, in a, in a headwind zone? Like, when do we actually call this? I know we had two consecutive quarters of negative GDP growth, but now that we're kind of just back, I guess, like, how could like how can we even keep calling this a recessionary period? Like this is the most genuinely bonkers, hard to label time I've had to deal with in my entire time of thinking about and analyzing the market. What's the deal with the G with GDP going up with everything else, dude? Yeah, I mean, it, like we've talked about this for a while, right? Like the how resilient the market's been, um, or the economy rather has been. Fed is raising rates like crazy to things that haven't been seen in years. Uh, real estate markets are slowing down, markets have crashed, but the economy has been pretty resilient. Unemployment is still very low while inflation is, you know, obviously high. Uh, and then we saw GDP come out and it's proven to, to be very well. So you can ultimately translate this in two ways. The first way is that the Fed, I would imagine from, you know, the way that they typically react to these things is it's not necessarily a good thing that GDP increased. They are trying to slow down the economy, not help it continue growing. They don't want to push us into a full-out recession, but when they see that GDP has grown so much, I know the market reacted reacted positively to it uh like earlier this week because they're happy, you know, we're not in a recession, but I think it ultimately gives uh the Fed more confidence that they can continue raising rates and that we have a very very resilient economy that can ultimately uh withstand higher rates um because dating back to uh, former Fed presidents before Jerome Powell uh, and dating back to like the 80s when Paul Volcker was in office, the Fed funds rate was like 20%. So you think rates are high now sitting around, you know, the 30-year mortgage is around 7%. Imagine around 20. Um, I'm not saying we're going to get back to that place, but there, the upper ceiling for this is not even close to where we are now. So I think while, yes, we're not in a recession now, um, I think those numbers are ultimately going to give the Fed more confidence that they can raise rates. Um, so yeah, to clarify, we are definitely not in a recession right now, but I think that you're starting to see the slowdown in the economy, even though GDP growth maintained. Um, you're starting to see uh, other cracks slip through. Uh, and if the Fed continues to raise rates, I think they're inevitably going to put us in one, regardless of whether they're trying to or not. So yeah, definitely good to clarify there. Not in a recession. I think we are moving towards one. And I think while good GDP is a measure of a strong economy, obviously, uh, ultimately, I think it's going to, to push the Fed in the wrong direction as they look to get inflation under control. 
And that's going to be one of those things where you have to audience just watch a lot of different factors to see how the Fed's going to react. You're seeing a lot of the infl the um, boost in stock prices, especially on the Dow, come from mild confidence that we're going to see some kind of Fed pivot moving forward, even though the Fed has given no indication they're going to do anything but raise by 75 basis points moving forward. So once again, I am telling you to look forward to two weeks from now when A, there's a there's some midterm elections or something, and then B, we're going to get CPI data, which will tell us how aggressive the Fed needs to be moving forward, right? So it's one of those things where uh, if this doesn't actually turn into a full-blown recession, if the Fed can raise rates and the stock market and economy stay this resilient, it's one of those things that is one of the most genuinely bullish indicators for just like neoliberal capitalism ever it's one of the greatest successes of this hundred year ex experiment we've been having in this capital economy not saying it's going to happen i'm just saying it's one of those things where the downturns have gotten less bad the bull periods have lasted longer and if we can avoid like a full-blown catastrophic recession with all of the pressure on our economy right now huge win in terms of a macro scale but you know not calling that moving forward getting back to earnings season though folks just trying to understand what's happening because one of the primary drivers a lot of the wealth creation we saw in the last 10 years were these giant social media stocks and we're kind of watching the leader of the pack right collapse in real time justin meta is down 25 percent it is its stock after earnings got sent back to 2015 back when biden was just a wee vp what is happening dude like how can you ha is this like a controlled demolition just to make the metaverse happen like can meta come back from this like I, I want to buy Meta right now, but I feel spooked by it, you know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, this. if there's any story to pay attention to, it's this week. Uh, it's Meta, uh, or I refuse to call it Meta, even though I'm just going to call it Facebook because I just, I can't, <laughs> I can't get around it. It's the Zuckerberg's. Um, yeah, I mean, that works too. Uh, but for, for Facebook, I mean, they've lost seven, almost $750 billion in value over the last 12 months, which is insane. There's only, I think, five to six like trillion dollar companies in the world. They were one of them. And now they're worth like close to 250 billion, which is absolutely insane if you actually think about how much of a drop that is. That is like that's wiping historical. that's wiping several small countries out of existence. That is like the capital equivalent of a meteor hitting several micronations. Like it is insane, dude. Yeah, like cannot be understated like how insane that is. Especially like they still make a lot of money. I mean, they're making close to $100 billion a year and they're valued at 263. So two to three X revenue to your point, like it's hard not to want to get involved. Uh, like they're, they're still, they have billions of users. They're making hundreds of billions of dollars. Like take all the fucking noise out of it. It's, it's hard to say like, oh, this isn't a good stock to buy right now. Um, so if, if that's how you feel, I get it. And if you want to make a bet that Mark Zuckerberg isn't going to burn his own house down, then, you know, that's, that's a bet that I would totally understand. And I'm tempted to make myself having said that they're going to spend over $70 billion on this metaverse product that they don't even know anyone wants. And they're totally transitioning a hundred billion dollar business from you know social led advertising to a metaverse product that is very hardware driven that ultimately will have advertising in it but is a fundamental shift from what's going on and the reason it's honestly gotten to this point is because mark zuckerberg has all of the voting rights um something that people typically don't talk about but with when they went public he very smartly for his own sake was able to retain a lot of the voting rights so the board of directors investors when they would typically try to oust a CEO for going off the deep end or, or doing something terrible, um, 
that's how they reel them in. They vote them out. They get them out. But with him, he has all the voting rights. So it's it's going to be significantly harder to to push him out if that's the path they want to be taking. But I would imagine right now in conversations with their board, um, it would be shocking if ultimately they did not uh, understand or, or try to understand what was going on right now. They, they need to ultimately push them or, or make a change. They can't spend $70 billion which is basically all of their revenue trying to build a product that, you know, no one knows if they want or not. Okay, quick spot bet here, Justin Kramer. Um, this time next year, Q4 2023, Mark Zuckerberg, CEO of Meta or not? <laughs> yeah, that's definitely a tough question. Um, I think he will be. I think similar to people who would probably want to make a bet on the stock right now being down 70% over the last year. Um I would be very hard pressed to believe that this stock can fall significantly further. And he's going to have to, similar to like what's going on with Twitter right now, make some sort of core investments in their product. I would think if I'm wrong, then I think he'll be out by this time next year, or at least there'll be a lot of conversations. Um, but I'm making the bet he built this company from the ground up, uh, that he's not going to let it continue to squander for another 12 months. So I think he'll still be there. Understood. And audience, just to give you some more like really like contrarian things to think about, like two opposite ideas in your head. Just keep in mind that, again, he is b shoving all of this money, destroying Meta's profit margins into this Metaverse product that uh, you're hearing a lot of negative press about, right? Like, uh, you may not have even heard about the huge PR push that had, that had happened in the past week and a half where people were showing off, like, the new Meta product, the new Meta Quest, like the least watched MKBH MKBHD video of all time, showcasing, like, the productivity features of the new sort of, like, Meta VR headset. Um, nobody talked about it because people, air quotes, don't want it you can hold that idea in your head and be like oh god the metaverse is going to totally collapse but then realize that on the video game side of things the oculus quest has outsold literally every single video game console in the past two years so we can say nobody wants this for productivity but at the same time on a device level like it's it's winning in some capacities like uh, gaming is kind of negligible for both microsoft and sony in terms of profit drivers like it just feels like a branding exercise at this point but um it's just something to keep in mind as well like nobody sure. wants meta but everybody wants the device in terms of like certain niche areas so it's gonna be really interesting to see if that niche can keep growing and drive adoption as well I am not bullish on Meta in any case, but I want to make sure that you have all the information because this is such a weird and complicated moment in the lifetime of this company. Either Mark Zuckerberg is going to prove to himself in the world that he's this defiant, beat everyone despite the odds kind of person that he's thought of himself as since he ever since he started Facebook back in the early 2000s. Just go watch the social network. We'll watch the social network too in 15 years. And <laughs> either it's his collapse or his like ultimate like vindication as this outsider genius, right? Um, but yeah, it's, it's we'll really, see. yeah, it's exactly. It's a we'll see moment. So I am, I, am, I mean, I think like if you're, if you're looking at historically what Facebook has done and I'm not saying anyone could have built it. Um, and, but you're, you're referencing, um, the, the social network. So like in theory, it was a stolen idea in some capacity, even though he ultimately built it and scaled it, which is an idea means absolutely nothing. Um, it's, it's how you build it. But since then they have not proven that they can they can do anything original. Uh, Instagram, they acquired. They did not build that. Um, Instagram shopping has completely failed. Instagram stories was stolen from Snapchat. Uh, Facebook crypto absolutely failed. Facebook dating has failed. Facebook marketplace is also a stolen idea kind of from Craigslist, although it has, has done pretty well. WhatsApp, they did not build. They acquired. And Messenger has not done well. So they haven't really proven from a building the original Facebook that they can scale a product from scratch. 
uh, and even Oculus they acquired. So I am very hard pressed to believe that they're going to build a successful metaverse. I mean, you look at it now. I mean, it's effectively The Sims. Um, the graphics are are awful. I don't, you know, maybe they don't even internally years, utilize you know. it. I will push back on that, Justin. Um, just just to point out, for for literally hundreds of thousands of years, the best way to you know survive as a human person was buy stealing so it's a really good business strategy at the end of the day and for about eight years there facebook proved themselves to be the best in the business at it the way they just absolutely shivved snapchat by by just making snapchat a product within instagram is one of the craziest business stories in the last 10 years and the thing that's very interesting is the fact that facebook couldn't do the same thing with instagram reels to go after tiktok tiktok's resiliency is a huge part of this as well because tiktok has completely changed the way we consume content right now and you're seeing that in one we're, we're not even going to be able to talk about alphabet we're not even going to be able to talk about google right now there's simply too much to talk about but youtube revenue is down big on both declining um, just advertising budgets in general, as well as um, a lot of, it's not that people are leaving YouTube, right? It's this, it's not growing the rate it needs to. And so ad revenue is down for the first time in a while, which is why you saw Alphabet go down as well. So just a lot of seismic shifts right here, right now. And it's really interesting to see if, you know, Zuckerberg can just kind of leap over this and actually build something real for once to your point. So we'll have to see, you know? Totally. No, no, it's very, it's very fair. I mean, I hope I'm wrong. It would be great you know, if he builds a successful metaverse that that people ultimately adopt, uh, a lot of this goes past, you know, investing in more is just technology adoption, seeing trends. Um, so a lot of this is is speculation, um, just looking at historicals and, and trying to make the best projections we can. And one other thing, too, just just getting into that, as we think about this as well, it's also just watching since all of these fang stocks are in the Nasdaq right now. The craziest thing I've seen this week that nobody's really talking about is this wild divergence between the Dow Jones and the Nasdaq. Like we're seeing the Dow hit its fourth good week in four. Um, it's rallying 600 points today. It's doing great. The Nasdaq is up a little bit this like today, too. But obviously it got just flummoxed in the past week. So when we're thinking about this, Justin, is this just like continuation of the shift from value to from growth to value we've been seeing for the past year and a half? Is it just, just taking this long for that trend to play out? Or is there anything else at play here as we look for like the actual valuable plays you want to make in this market? Like it's one thing to dunk on big tech, but like I'm an investor. I need to make sure I am tailoring my portfolio right now. Where should I even be thinking about putting my money, looking at all of this stuff? Am I buying low on the NASDAQ or am I kind of riding the trends on the Dow Jones right now? Yeah, no, it's a really good question. We were talking about this before. So audience, this is super uh, like important to pay attention to. And we definitely talk about this more on the site in detail. So if you, you know, after this conversation, you want to check it out, uh, I would highly recommend doing so. Moby.co slash go, ladies and gentlemen, Moby.co slash go, get that link in there. Yeah, there's, there's definitely two things going on right now, kind of core to uh, the overall market. The first is that if you think about an index, it's ultimately driven by a lot of the larger names in the portfolio. So when you're looking at NASDAQ, it's very tech driven. Um, and so the NASDAQ is primarily weighted with Amazon, Apple, uh, Microsoft, a lot of the names that we've just discussed. And so when those names are selling off, you're going to see ultimately the NASDAQ sell off too, because they're so heavily weighted. Whereas, yes, they comprise the, the S&P and the Dow Jones, but they're more diversified uh, with other parts of the industry. So like industrials, energy, financials, sectors that have done better over the last year are then helping those uh, those indices do better than the NASDAQ. And that's why we're seeing this divergence. So outside of the big stocks, which you know 
we can e we just easily explained. Um, there's also another kind of secondary factor, and this has been something we've been talking about actually for the last you know over 12 months at this point. And it's really just this push towards profitability from an investing perspective. Um, for the last decade leading up to the last year, uh, you could seemingly just invest in a company if it was gro a growth story, it was growing like crazy. Investors were willing to both pay it an extremely high multiple and also ignore pretty much all of the signs that companies were burning capital, um, that they weren't efficient with their capital. As long as they were growing, investors didn't really care. And everyone knew it was crazy, but no one really cared for a better part of a decade because everything was growing so fast. Fast forward to today, rates have increased substantially, which has slowed down the growth of some of these companies or a lot of these companies that are funded by debt. And ultimately, it then transitions to, okay, we care less about growth and now we care about more about profitability. Are your margins high? Is your EBITDA high? Are you doing this in a sustainable way? Because right now, similar to 2008, similar to the dot-com bubble before that and all the other bubbles, once like the economy really slows down and the access to capital slows down, the ability for these growth companies to keep growing substantially slows down. So that number one kind of sparkling light of these companies that attracted investors in the first place can get shut down almost overnight because capital isn't free-flowing the way it once was. So that's something, and that's that's something to be really aware of. And that's why we've seen just a lot of these value play stocks do really well. So we've seen energy outside of the fact that oil prices are rising do so well over the last year. A lot of these industrial companies are doing really well. Healthcare names are doing well. Just historically, they've been underperforming, you know, tech names, but in the last year, they, they've done really well. And so that's why we've seen this divergence. And it's probably going to continue until we have some sort of clear sign from the Fed uh, that rates are going to slow down and the access to capital is going to flow back into the markets. Um, so again, over the long run, like these names shouldn't be outperforming a lot of these growth names, but at least over, you know, the last 12 months and the, the next 12 months, these are really good diversifying names to add some not only liquidity to your portfolio, but also add some safety with some upside. So this is this is why we've seen the divergence and why we think it'll persist. Uh, and ultimately, and we, we can talk about this potentially later, the raising of rates is probably going to end up uh, hurting or, or taking longer to impact inflation than I think we originally anticipated. Um, so this is all things to to be very aware of. Yeah, like almost like a 90 day sort of like lag time when we think about how badly it's going to impact rates, because remember, we're always going to be trading off of fundamentals as well as technicals, right, audience? And we can one day explore what kind of gobbledygook I just said. But the main thing to realize is that we won't see the fundamental effects of all these rates raises until a couple more quarters of watching this kind of filter through the stocks. This yeah. is, this is a someone... big one. This, this earnings week was a big one to see just how badly inflation's affecting everyone. Now we're going to get the what's the deal with the rates raises by like Q2, Q3, 2023. Yeah. And someone said this to one of our favorite fund managers we were speaking with recently, and they brought this point and I thought it was like really smart and no one's talking about it, is that if you think about like the core goods in our economy, you need to eat food, you need energy to like run your life, you need to go to the doctor if you're sick. Like there are a lot of staples that like no matter what's going on for the most part, you can only delay so long. Like you, you, you know, you need to go to the grocery store and get food. So he was talking about raising rates while it will definitely slow down discretionary spending. So discretionary spending being, you know, buying that new car, taking that vacation, like 
you know, you don't have to do that. Those are wants, not needs. But buying food, buying energy, buying all these things that are needs, raising rates are just going to actually make that more expensive. And so I was like talking to him and we we're like, I was like, what do you mean by that? And he's like, well, think about the food industry. Where do we get our food from? Primarily at the, at the very beginning of the supply chain, it comes from farmers. How, does, how do farmers ultimately buy all their equipment, buy all their livestock, buy all of the agriculture? Like they use a lot of debt to finance their operations. So if the price of debt via interest rates are going up, the ability for them to ultimately manufacture food becomes more expensive. And if it becomes more expensive, they're going to have to pass on those costs to the next part of the supply chain. And if the next part of the supply chain is, you know, the Tysons, the the Procter & Gamble's, the General Mills of the world with higher prices from the farmers means they will pass on higher prices. And so they the point they were making was higher rates are going to make food more expensive. Uh, it's going to make energy more expensive. It's going to make a lot of these core essential goods more expensive, which is actually going to have an opposite effect that the Fed is hoping for a lot of these core products. So while yes, discretionary spending will slow down, their argument was that ultimately a lot of our core goods could go up in price if the discretionary goods don't come down fast enough. So it's something to to really be aware of. I thought that was a very, very interesting point. Which is really hard too, considering there's still a lot of liquidity that people are still holding on to from a lot of the stimulus they got. I mean, it, like people like sort of like in the in the mid tier of the economy, I should say, we got a lot of liquidity from a lot of those 2020 stimuluses to make sure that the economy didn't completely collapse. So that's why you're seeing consumer spending drive that 2.6 rise in GDP. So what you're seeing is this wild situation where supply side inflation was really bad. The Fed tried to find kill demand, even though it's supply side inflation. And what they'll end up doing is creating another head of the inflation monster, maybe uh, to kind of have them combine into one some like terrible Hydra, right? So that's a really interesting point to keep in mind that I didn't realize that just because we're, we're getting one side of inflation under control doesn't mean that we can't create another side of it. Is that a good way of like summarizing it? Or is that too much of a dumb guy summary there, Justin? No, I think that's good. It's like, again, getting past the food example, you think about gas. So like right now, not only are we like boycotting a lot of energy that's coming out of Russia and Russia produces 10% of the world's, you know, oil. Um, I mean, and, take and that out of the equation, which is inflationary. But then also, if you're starting to drill more in the U.S. and you need to build more refineries, you need to build more drilling, like that's a lot of cash on hand to do that. And most of these companies historically have financed it with debt. So if debt becomes more expensive, their costs become more expensive. Who do you think is going to be paying like higher energy prices? It's the consumers. So it's like debt. And this is why like the raising of rates typically slows things down, because as debt becomes more expensive, they pass on. Um, like, like ultimately companies don't want to like spend as much because debt's so expensive. So things slow down. And that is why historically why interest rates do slow down. But in an economy that is so driven by food, energy, a lot of these staples more so than they were, um, years ago, like if you look at debt as a percentage of GDP, which not to get too into the weeds, if you look in the eighties, when they were raising rates to like 20%, Debt as a percentage of GDP was significantly lower. Now I think it's over 50%. So like back then they were, you know, financing their operations with a lot of cash on hand. So when you brought up interest rates, things slowed down. But today when, you know, debt runs half the economy, you can't just slow things down. People need to eat. People need oil and gas. So that's why I think we've seen a lot of like, 
you know, this rising rates not actually affect inflation as much as a lot of people thought they would, because debt is such a large portion of the way that, you know, the company, the world grows. And it wasn't like that the last time they raised rates so substantially in the 80s. It was a completely different atmosphere. That's another wild, like little foible that we never talk about, just how much, you know, debt is in charge right now. Like that's the true runner of this economy. So lots of little like moments in there, folks. Like, so we're going to see a lot of these costs get passed somewhere. Like we're going to just, are we going to keep the money wheel turning or is something going to, are we going to get more sawdust in the works? Hard to say. We are massively over time, Justin, and we've never got a chance to talk about the other giant side of social media. Uh, the sink is in, Justin. Elon <laughs> yeah, Musk closes the deal. $44 billion, and Tesla stock did not care. Um, we, are, we are 12 hours into the Musk Imperium. How's it feel? Uh, what are we going to talk about after this, now that this whole nightmare is over? I mean, let's say he, first off, he massively overpaid for this deal. Um, so... I mean, that's more so a problem for him and the investors, but the Twitter was not valued at the at the way it was. So he definitely took a little bit of an L there, which is interesting because we've basically only seen Elon win over the last you know decade. Um, but that's huge a, a wins whole- too, like gigantic wins off of insane gambles. This is the first L, like it's not an L yet, but it's the first like really strong chance of an L he'll take in a while. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, Twitter is now going to be a private company. Um, so like from an investing standpoint, there's really not much that we can do. Um, but from the core product overall, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely honestly excited outside of his views on just what he wants to do. From a pure engineering perspective, he's going to bring in a ton, a ton of talent uh, to completely gut the code base and ultimately just like recreate Twitter, which will create a much better user experience. You know, his censorship or what he wants, whether he wants to or not censor speech is a totally different conversation, but pure technology and product. I don't think anyone's debating that he's going to like bring in some great people to do some great things. How that then impacts, you know, our investable products like Facebook, like, I mean, we can't invest in TikTok right now, but other platforms, I think ultimately Twitter is going to potentially win more, more user share. I mean, Elon going there, you know, who who knows how involved he'll be, but Elon going there is going to create more marketing hype. They'll create a better product. I think more people will funnel in and it'll just take more market share away from others. But uh, I mean, in the short term, it's going <laughs> to, there's a lot to do. The CEO and the CFO are, are gone. So he's definitely shaken up the tree so far. I can also, per- one thing nobody's talking about that I can personally guarantee every, every VC in all of big tech right now, Silicon Valley, Alley, wherever else, has been watching Twitter just get completely bewilderingly mismanaged for, I would say, the last five years. Like, there's so much they could have monetized with, like, the highest engagement product on planet Earth before TikTok showed up, obviously. I personally guarantee you people watched that. Now they're watching Musk take over and they're thinking, okay, this is going to... You know, this is going to fall apart like he's never going to get his value back. I guarantee you there's going to be an extraordinarily well-funded Twitter competitor coming out. Like, you're not going to see Mastodon. You're not going to see Parler or Truth Social or any of those things. Somebody is going to come out with, like, a very shiny, heavily VC-funded, like, competitor to Twitter and try to go to bat with Elon Musk. And I don't know who's going to win in that situation, but I think it's going to just be really hilarious to watch. And I'm extraordinarily here for it. Yeah, no, it will definitely be entertaining at the very least. Because like there's just so much there's just so much value in microblogging, but it's one of those things where it's really really hard to monetize. So really interested to see how Elon can pull that off. I'm also really interested to see how competition can flood into the market. Feel bad for people who've been like sitting on Mastodon for 
you know, years now waiting for their moment. They're th- thinking it's it, but Mastodon is just a little bit too complicated to use. It's a little bit too nerdy to be the product it needs to be in order to air quotes beat Twitter and obviously every other like competitor is an echo chamber. So really excited to see that competition enter the space. Competition is the only good part about like that's where you create the most value. So excited to see that. And just, I mean, I'm here for the ride, man. Like Twitter's a private company now. I'm out. I'm, I'm out. Like I'm literally out. I'm going to get my 5420 at some point. And that's the end. <laughs> um, so uh, really interested to see how it all plays out. But just glad that we have something else to talk about now. And also glad that this didn't totally nuke anybody's positions in Tesla, comma, yet. <laughs> but that did, yeah. Yeah, that did take us so hugely over time for now, though, Justin. So really appreciate you sticking with us here, audience. Thank you so much for all your awesome questions. Justin Kramer, CEO, co-founder, chief analyst here at Moby.co. A lot to get through this week. We barely even covered a lot of other like interesting earnings, like obviously... A lot of construction stocks are just popping off right now. Uh, uranium out of control. Love to see it. Um, any final thoughts for me before we go ahead and read the credits here? Because obviously we're going to have even more to talk about next week as we get more economic data and we ramp up towards some big moments like the midterm elections in 10 days. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot to unpack. So I think after, since, you know, to your point, we didn't get to, to everything today. We'll stick around uh, in the Discord channel for another, you know, 30, 60 minutes. So for people... Uh, who are listening live. If you have questions, just feel to th- feel th- free to throw them in there and we'll answer them the best we can. Um, to your point, there there's a lot more I'd want to cover, but I think those are the biggest things for now. I think like we've been saying for the last few weeks as well, we are not out of this yet by any means. I know the market's gone up. There's talks the Fed's going to peel back their uh, the increases of their interest rate policies, which if they do, I mean, that's amazing, but they haven't come out and formally said it yet. So again, invest with caution. This is not a rally that is now going to persist forever. There's still a lot of underlying uncertainty. Um, we didn't even talk about the Russia stuff, but I mean, obviously that war there is still persisting um, and there's a lot of implications there for the markets as well. So long story short, you know, be vigilant. Uh, we will try and release as much information as we can. A lot of these talks are helpful, helpful more so on the macro stuff. Um, but yeah, there's, there's a lot going on. So if you have questions, uh, we'll stick around for a bit so we can answer them. And that's a great place to put a bow on it. And audience, if you're listening to the recorded version of this, just keep in mind, we do do this live in front of our Discord audience once a week, every week. That happens at 12 p.m. Eastern on Fridays, just because that's the easiest time for us to, you know, get around to it. So be sure to join us there. Uh, if you want to get more of our in-depth analysis, you can hit, up, hit us up over at hello, uh, hello. You can hit us up over at moby.co slash go or email us at hello moby.co. I uh, just, you know. Mix those two together. What are you going to do, folks? You can also find us on Instagram and TikTok just for more sort of like low-level analysis. And maybe we're going to start adding some more video stuff moving forward as well. Either way, audience, we really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for sticking with us for the longer episode. Stay safe during earnings season, folks. But as always, we'd like to leave you with peace, love, and incremental gains. Everyone be well. Thank you so much.